is Pull Yourself Together with E. Shaver Booksellers. Hello, I'm Jessica, a lifelong lover of books, wide-ranging reader, fan of obscure British literature, all things Douglas Adams, long sentences, music biographies, the Oxford comma, always up for travel, except during COVID, and of course, Jane Austen. And I'm Melissa, an eclectic bibliophile and all-around nerd who also loves Jane Austen, comics, and cooking. Together, we run an independent bookstore in Savannah, Georgia. Each episode, we discuss the books we've been reading and recommend. Well, hello there, everyone. So, we're, we're a little late this week. Just a little late. Last week was busy and weird. Yeah, well, and Saturday was Independent Bookstore Day, which was very exciting, but... Very busy. Very, very busy, even with a uh, a lot of rain. Yeah, and a deluge. A deluge. <laughs> um, although I will say, I'm very hopeful the roof did not leak. That is very exciting. And we're going to get a new roof in the bookstore. Um, Actually, we're going to get a new roof on the, on book the bookstore. <laughs> not in the bookstore. <laughs> on the bookstore. Um, and after that is accomplished and we no longer have water features, we're going to be doing a little bit of remodeling, which mm-hmm. is very exciting. So we may be closed for a few days in August um, to make the beautiful changes we're going to make in the bookstore. Mm-hmm. Exciting things like all the ceilings painted the same color. Yes, and and all parts of the ceiling. <laughs> Painted the same color. <laughs> and then we're also in the cookbook room. It's so excited. Going to have a professional painter come in and fix the plaster that's falling off the walls and uh, and paint the whole front of the bookstore the same color. It's going to be, y- y'all are not going to even know where you are. I know. <laughs> we might even put in some decent lighting. Well, let's not get crazy. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, I know. I know. So Melissa and I have been plotting and planning this for a while. And yes, and s- saving our shekels. <laughs> saving our shekels, and we're very excited about it. Um, yeah. So more about that later. Mm-hmm. But Well, so I'm just going to go ahead and say um, just a caveat for the, the books that I've read this week. I'm going to explain why it is the way it is. Melissa um, suddenly has become obsessed with Ruth Ware. It's true. Um, so Jessica and I are um, on Saturday, May 8th, going to be in conversation with Ruth mm-hmm. Ware for the Savannah Book Festival, which is very exciting. And Ruth Ware is one of the people that's been on my to-read list for a long time now. Yes. Um, and so, uh, you know, no time like the present, especially if we're yes. going to be talking to her, maybe, maybe should read her books. So I, um, I have started on that and I'm halfway through. Yes. So, so uh, Melissa is passing this stack over to me. So mm-hmm. I will have read them by our next, um, our next podcast. Yes. And, um, yeah, and a few things in between because the sun also rises is also looming out there. Mm-hmm. There's things on the horizon. Yes. But, but so that's why all I'm talking about this time is um, Ruth Ware books. Um, but Well, and I'm going to admit that this has not been a heavy reading couple of weeks for me because, again, we've, we've just been busy in the store and had a lot of uh, kind of having to restock and move things around, which is what I do a lot of. And so I've been out on the floor, like moving stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so what have you been reading, Jessica? What have I been reading? Well, so as we all know, I got totally caught up in the Deborah Harkness series, um, a discovery of witches. And I finished that and we all talk about book hangovers. I was just not quite ready to leave that world. So I decided to pick up Times Convert and I'm almost finished with it. I'm listening to it. It has a different narrator than the first three books, which I'm not happy about because mm-hmm. I was used to her voices. Um, and she has given Marcus a very American voice in this as opposed to his normal sort of continental 
could be from anywhere accent. I always think it's weird when they decide to switch narrators like yeah. on one book from a series. It's just strange to me. Yeah, I so I can't first I can't get used to Marcus sounding like he just stepped out of the woods in Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> um, which is also not appropriate because he lived in New England and Philadelphia in his life and so that accent would not be the way he spoke. Well, and what what time period is he living? So he's living during the Revolutionary War. So he probably would have had a continental sort of a more British sounding accent. accent. And everyone else, like the Germans sound like Germans. Yeah. And the Irish sound like Irish and the Dutch sound like Dutch. But for some reason, the person narrating this book has made him talk like this. And it just, mm. hmm... But it's it's interesting. It's it's always fun to kind of go back and check in on your favorite characters. Um, I was talking to Melissa earlier about this, though. Sometimes the book ends at the wedding or at the big event because that's the time for the book to end. And so when you go back and look in your look in on your characters who are now leading sort of domesticated lives and dealing with their raising toddlers and things like that. It's just not quite the same. Yeah. Um, Although I do find... So the story that I'm most caught up in is the story of Phoebe, who is Marcus's fiance and who is becoming a vampire. And they are having a traditional vampire courtship. And you do learn all about the making of a vampire and how difficult it is for them to change. (laughs) And so... That has been interesting because it's certainly much more um, detailed and well thought out than any other sort of making of vampire story I've ever heard. It's not like you're a vampire and you're suddenly all that. You have to learn how to how to live. You're reborn and and everything that comes with that. So that part and that part of her world building I have found very interesting. You need to read um, the Parasol Protectorate series. Mm-hmm. Um, like The first one's called Soulless, uh, but they're set... It's a steampunk um, British series. And <laughs> Yes, please. Yeah, no, they're fantastic. <laughs> and the main character is um, what they call is a soulless. Mm-hmm. So um, she... When she touches like vampires or werewolves, she takes away their powers. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, and so but there's werewolves and vampires in it, and they they have a whole like thing with becoming vampires and becoming mm-hmm. werewolves, and there's a lot of talk about you know learning your powers and all that kind of stuff in there. They're super it's, fun, so though. it's a lot. <laughs> The things that they have to contend with are all of their senses are heightened, mm-hmm. and so they become light dazzled. Like yeah. if Phoebe goes out at night she can just become completely mesmerized by the light and um, learning how to properly feed. There's a, 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 a strong etiquette that goes on mm-hmm. on the way you learn to live within your new vampire family. Um, so that part of it is interesting. Also, there's a part where Marcus is involved in the French Revolution, and uh, he has a relationship with Marat. And I've always found that part of French history interesting and fascinating. And one of my favorite paintings of all time is The Death of Marat. Um, and so, so that histor- the historical tidbits in, in that part of the book have been very interesting. And a lot of the American Revolution historical tidbits have been very good, too. I mean, she, Deborah Harkness is an historian. And, um, and so... It, it has made me go and look things up and kind of put my timeline in the proper... I often think of the French Revolution as completely separate from the American Revolution as completely... And so this ties nicely into the Regency period, a book that we just read for our Jane Austen book group. Um, it has reflushed out my historical timeline mm. reading these books. So other than the narrator, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. <laughs> That's good. I always found um, 
Revolutionary War history fascinating. Like that's my favorite time period in American history. I just think that's it's it, super there's interesting. There's so much going on and such an exchange of ideas. And when you think of Ben Franklin, who was also in London and in Paris, mm-hmm. and and all of the founding fathers who were just, you know, the world was so connected. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it, mean, it still is, obviously. But I I think somehow when they're teaching that in school these days and when I was growing up, they kind of miss all that. They gloss over the amazing things that were really happening. Well, and they don't really spend a lot of time focusing on the fact, like, how old these men were when they were doing these things. They were in their 20s and sometimes early 30s. They were very young when this was happening. Um, and no one had ever done it before. No one had ever no. broken away from their their colonizer. And yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's an amazing story. And just the story of George Washington, who could have been king and stepped away yeah. from all of it. I mean, anyway, we could go on for quite a while about That's all true. of that. I can totally fangirl about the Revolutionary <laughs> War for a long time. Well, so this book. <laughs> does bring up a lot of that and it does bring up um frontier life and a little bit it touches on sort of the more puritanical things that were in new england at the mm-hmm. time um there are a lot of jebediahs and um absalons and oh there yeah. were a lot yeah. of jebediahs <laughs> so Yes, I I won't say I don't like the book. I will say it doesn't flow the same way the series does because it is a book outside of the series. It's the story of Marcus, um, who is Matthew's son, and the making of him, and um, and then it does dip into, you know, what's going on with the rest of the family, both during this time period, the revolutionary 1700s, 1800s, early 1800s, and um, in current times. Okay. So. All right. Well, so I'm going to start at the beginning because that's okay. how I started. Um, so well, I, That's a very good place to start. I, that's, that's what I've heard. Um, <laughs> so I, I decided I was going to read Ruth Ware's books in the order that they were published to kind of get a idea of how she's grown as she's been writing. So her first book was In a Dark, Dark Wood. And this one was um, an instant bestseller like for a debut novel. It did mm-hmm. incredibly well. Um, and it's apparently going to be a movie, which I'm, yeah. I'm interested in. Um, but this guy, um, it starts out and it is, um, the main character is a writer named Nora, Mm-hmm. And she is very solitary. She lives her life. Um, she's got like she writes from home. She has just this. So COVID was not a problem. Yeah, for no, her. she was totally cool with it. Um, <laughs> but so um, she gets this email, and it is from this woman who is throwing a hen night, like a bachelorette yeah. party for. Um, a friend of hers who she hasn't been in contact with in like over 10 years. And she's very confused as to why she's getting invited to this. Um, she hasn't been invited to the wedding. Mm-hmm. She didn't even know that she was getting married. Um, so interesting. So she just kind of blows it off. And then she gets another email, very insistent from this woman that it would mean the world to the friend if she would come to this hen night. Well, and, you would think that she would have invited her to the wedding if it would have meant the world to Right, her. right. So already <laughs> there's questions. Um, but so another friend of theirs um, is invited as well, and they make this deal that they'll both go if the other one goes. So, mm-hmm. And they, um, the, three, the three of them uh, met in, like, elementary school, so they've known each other, like, that long. Okay. Um, so... The hen party is in the middle of nowhere in this weird house in the middle of the woods that's like this glass monstrosity that like you can see in it's just all glass everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um so that's also a little creepy, uh, because there's the whole Are are even the bathrooms glass? Because that's a new hotel trend that I'm not fond of. No, no. And apparently the British were like, no, no, No. that's a step too far. Um, 
And good on them for that. Yeah. And so that's kind of the the gist of the story is she goes to this hen party and obviously it's a thriller. So mm-hmm. think things don't go completely um completely right. Um and the narration switches back and forth between her, you know, getting ready to go to the hen party and mm-hmm. being there and her being in the hospital. Um, she's had a head injury. She doesn't know exactly what's happened. She's in and out of consciousness, and she can hear police talking about how they're switching the investigation to a murder, so she knows that someone's died. She has no idea who's died. She doesn't know what her part in it was. Interesting. So it's an unreliable narrator, but an unreliable narrator because she doesn't remember what's happened. Okay. Um, And... The cast of characters that are invited to this hen party, there's Flo who is throwing it, and Flo is very unstable. Like, um, she's obsessed with Claire, who's the the woman whose wedding it is, Um, like, just wants to do whatever she can for her, wants to be the best friend she can possibly be, and dresses like her. Oh, not good. No, and... um, so she's she's a little much. Then there's um, Tom, who is a um, Broadway or not Broadway, a, a theater. Uh, I think he's a set designer. Uh, his husband is a director, um, but he's involved in theater in some some way, mm-hmm. um, and he's a bit catty um mm-hmm. but but he's 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 all right um he likes to stir up up trouble a little mm-hmm. bit um and stir the pot yeah he's a pot stirrer and then um there's the other friend and i'm trying to think what her name is nina mm-hmm. nina is a doctor um and she is kind of no nonsense she's like mm-hmm. six feet tall and just like solid um and then there's um i think her name is melanie who um she's had a baby not too long ago i think he's like maybe six months old or maybe six weeks old but it's the first time she's leaving the baby Mm -hmm. um with her husband and so she's kind of obsessed with what's happening at home with the baby and there's not very good cell service where Mm -hmm. they are and so that that becomes a thing as well so so those are like the main players. And then there's right. Nora who doesn't really understand why she's there because she hasn't been invited to the wedding and, and hasn't spoken. doesn't hang out with these people. No. And so none of these people other than Nora and Nina have any sort of so connection. There's some incident that happened in grade school that, well, you, you find out the backstory mm-hmm. and why they haven't spoken for okay. as long as it, and you and it comes out fairly soon at the beginning of the book why she's invited her. Okay, all right, yeah, all right. Well, I am looking forward to reading. It's it's actually these. really good. They've been on my list forever. We have one bookseller in the store, Grace, who's obsessed with Ruth mm-hmm. Ware, and. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading them. I will say, the, in, for this particular one, um, I figured out who the bad guy was fairly early on, mm-hmm. but I didn't know the why. So I, w- I was interested to find out why it was the and way was it was. And was it a quick read? Yeah, a it was, a really, it was a really quick read. Um, yeah. And I will say there, there was... Um, I got hints of Agatha Christie with the kind of... Nice. Um, small group of people in kind of a secluded area, mm-hmm. and th- you know, um, and that's um, a comparison she gets a lot. Actually, mm-hmm. that lots of people compare her to Agatha Christie, and she's a big Agatha Christie fan. So, so she likes to bring in the cast, set the stage, and then stir and then the there's pot. a big reveal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then stir the pot. <laughs> yes, and exactly. see what happens. Yeah. Well, we'll have to ask her. I wonder if she's a plotter or, um, or if she's a, a pantser. I, I can't imagine she's not a plotter. It seems like she would be. But, mm-hmm. it, I mean, if she's doing it by the seat of her pants, that's it's impressive. Well done, her. Yeah. 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 Um, so do you want to go and talk about the rest of them, or do you want to switch back and forth? Um, um, we can switch back and forth. People might get tired of all Ruth all the time. <laughs> I don't know. There, she has some pretty, pretty hardcore fans. Well... The next book I'm going to talk about, someone asked for it in the store the other day, and it's a book that 
I absolutely loved, and our book group read it, and I think Melissa loved it as well, uh, Bill Clegg's Did You Ever Have a Family? And um, it had just fallen off my radar. I hadn't thought about the book in a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and Bill Clegg in general, who I tend to sell more of his memoir because he wrote two, um, two books on addiction. He was a hotshot um, in New York, one of the youngest agents, and he was one of the first to ever get a million-dollar deal for his client. Literary agent. Literary agent, I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, yeah. literary agent. And um, he then managed it to somehow at a party try crack, which seems unlikely in the group he was hanging out with, and become addicted to it and burn his life down completely. Yeah. Um, so his first book he wrote was a memoir, Portrait of an Addict as a Young Man, um, which is an excellent sort of um, how do you get from here to here book. Of uh, For most of us who don't have addictive personalities, to understand how someone can go from being at the top of the world to throwing your, just watching them make the increasingly bad decisions that addicts often make um, is hard. And he's unflinching about it, and he talks honestly about it, but he's very funny, too. I mean, he's a very good writer. And then he writes a second one, 90 Days, about his rehab experience, Mm -hmm. which is also very good. Um, But this was his first novel, and um, it is... a. a story about a family who is on the brink of a wedding, and it's told the main character is um, the mother of the bride. Mm-hmm. And in the house is her her boyfriend, her daughter, uh, the fiancé, and her ex-husband, and there is an accident, and the book goes from there. About yeah, so it starts with a huge catastrophe, and then it's just... Basically how that has affected everyone who was involved from the caterer who was setting up the wedding, you know, who now has the cake and all the flowers and all the food. And obviously it's going all to the be bills. all <laughs> the bills and it's, it's going to be a funeral, not a wedding um, to the, the main character who uh, June Reed, who has to figure out how to live her life. And so she drives across the country um, and ends up at this hotel, which is one of my favorite parts um, in the Northwest on the water, and kind of lives a quiet half-life and and comes back to life a little bit as the story's told. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a literary novel. So his book was long listed for the Booker Prize in 2015 and for the National Book Award um, in 2015 as well. And also for the Robert W. Um, Brigham Prize nominee um, for 2016 and an Andrew Carnegie Medal nominee for 2016. So he was nominated for many, many things mm-hmm. with this book. Um, so It's yeah. been long enough that... I don't remember it really well, but I know I really, really liked it. I I have memories in my mind. I've lumped it into the same kind of feel as the Glass Hotel. Mm. Um, I haven't read that. Yeah, it has. I, I hesitate to use this word, but it's an atmospheric novel. Mm. I think to some degree, you get a big sense of the character's sense of place, and I think the place where they're recuperating and and the way that he talks about like how June, the mother, is out walking the morning that the accident happens, and then about her car ride, and then about her living in the hotel. All of that is evocative of a certain... It has a certain feel to yeah. it. Yeah, well, and I know the, the one thing that I really liked about it is that it looks at the... Even though it focuses on like the main character, that it looks at the aftermath of the accident from all angles that that it looks Mm -hmm. at everyone that it affects, which I I like. Yeah. And I like that it, um, you know, it is a book that, that talks about family and creating new family when you've suffered a loss. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
I would highly recommend it. It's something that I, I may reread at some point, and I'm going to make sure I put my staff picks so I can bring other people to it because um, I think it stands up there as, as one of the better books I've read yeah, in the past it, yeah. 10 years or so. Um, he has a new book out. I have not read it yet. Um, I keep waiting for the right time, and I know it will come for me <laughs> to read it. Um, it's called The End of the Day. So Bill Clegg, amazing author with a very interesting life story. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so next up in the Ruth Warathon <laughs> um, is The Woman in Cabin 10. And this was the one that um, was probably the first one that I was aware of, mm-hmm. of her as an author. Um, it s- came out right after The Girl on the Train, didn't it? Um, this It came out in 2016, so mm-hmm. right around the same time. These yeah. were all kind of coming out, like... The Woman in the Window, The yeah. Girl on the Train. The Woman, The Woman, The Woman. Yeah. Um, so this one, um, again, is sort of a small group of people in a secluded mm-hmm. place sort of thing. Um, so... It starts out, and the narrator of this one is um, Lo Blacklock, and she is a travel journalist. Mm-hmm. And her boss um, is going out on maternity leave, and they, the the magazine that she um, works for, has gotten um, an invitation to come on this. Um, it's a like a charter ship, like a small yacht um, mm-hmm. that's like a cruise to go see the Northern Lights, and the the boat is called the Aurora. Um, well, no, that sounds like something I'd like to... Yeah, no, it sounds like fun. Um, but there's only 10 cabins on it. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, very chic. That's um, my kind of party. Yeah, the 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 chef <laughs> used to be the chef at El, El Boule. You know, like mm. it's it's a big deal. Okay, um, well, there's a lot of money involved. We might need to do that someday if we ever come into a lot of money. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> you haven't read this, so I don't know. Um, yeah. But um, so before she's getting ready to leave because she's going in her boss's place mm-hmm. because her boss can't go, um, her flat is burgled while she's in it, um, and. She had been out drinking, and she hears something. She gets up and opens the door to her bedroom, and there's a man standing there who's robbing her flat. And so he shoves the door into her and knocks her down and continues and, like... Um, Keeps rifling through her things. Yes, but he, he like, um, does something to the lock on the door, so she's basically stuck in there. Mm-hmm. Um and so she manages to get herself out. And so she's had that as a scare before she goes on this trip. Um, so she's on the boat um, and she's not slept for like the past three days. She's already a little like jittery, but she knows she has to do well because this is like her shot to mm-hmm. kind of move up in her in her job. And um, the cabin next door to her um is supposed to be empty like the person who's supposed to have come on the trip was not able to make it mm-hmm. but she hears somebody like in there and she's getting ready and she goes to the door to see who's in the cabin to see if she can borrow mascara from them you mm-hmm. know and the this girl gives her mascara and basically tells her to go away she's busy mm-hmm. and so she doesn't think anything of it um and then that night She's awoken um, when she hears a scream and she goes out to her veranda and sees someone fall into the water. Ooh. And um, she, there's, it's like um, the verandas are like at, you know, like hotels where you mm-hmm. all have like kind of that adjoining balcony, but there's like a little like divider thing. Yeah. So she looks around the divider thing and sees glass, like a blood smear on the glass. Mm-hmm. And so she calls security that someone's been murdered in the cabin next to mm-hmm. her. And they go into the cabin. There's no one there. There's no blood. There's no evidence that anyone has ever been there. Ooh. Um, and so they all think she's crazy. Like they, mm-hmm. it comes out that she's on antidepressants and that, you know, they, that she's had a breakdown in the past. So 
So they don't believe her. And so she's kind of spending the whole time that she's on this boat trying to figure out what happened to this girl because she mm-hmm. knows that girl was there. Does she still have the mascara? She she does, and she told the security person about mm-hmm. it, and then it disappears. Interesting. So it's like the only proof that she had that she's holding on to is just gone. Hmm. So. And more importantly, does she have to spend the rest of the cruise without mascara? No, she borrows from someone else, thank- okay. thankfully. <laughs> Although that's a weird thing to borrow. It's kind of an intimate item. Well, so her mascara had been in her purse, and when she was burgled, he took the purse. So ah. she didn't have any mascara. I- okay, that's a choice. I know. I know. I know. Do you keep mascara in your purse? I do not. It's not something that I put on on the go. No, me either. <laughs> it's enough to keep from stabbing myself in the eye regularly, putting it on. <laughs> Try putting it on with your left hand. No. So, so again, the sort of mm-hmm. unreliable narrator, but this time because you don't know if she's altered. And now they're, instead of on a train, they're all on a boat. They're on a boat, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. She does like to set the stage with the characters and then... Yeah. Let it happen. Yeah. And, you know, of course, they're in the middle of the ocean and all, all the Internet access goes out as well. So she's not able to contact anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a thing. OK. So the woman in cabin 10, the woman in cabin 10. I've got a lot to look forward to. It's true. <laughs> well, for something absolutely 100 <laughs> percent completely different. Um, recently for our Jane Austen book group, Melissa and I read The Regency Years, mm-hmm. during which Jane Austen writes, Napoleon fights, Byron makes love, and Britain becomes modern. Byron. Byron. <laughs> Melissa's not a fan of Byron. Um, he's kind of a, a, I have no a problem burn, burn bright rock star type. I have no time. problem with his work. I think he was a kind of a shitty person. <laughs> he, he, he was, well, he lived like a rock star. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he. He liked the men, but he was willing to make do with the ladies from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's by Robert Morrison. And um, it was a, I found it to be a very good read. It's history, um, but a very readable history, but dense. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that you flew through page by page, but I learned a lot from it. And again, coupled with... My vampire books, etc. Mm-hmm. I've taken a deep dive into sort of the late 1700s, early 1800s, um, which I've enjoyed. Yeah, I will say this one, um, It like Jessica was saying, it kind of clarified my timeline of things that were all happening at the same time mm-hmm. that I didn't realize were happening at the same, same time in the world. Um, but my only criticism of this book is that I feel like sometimes... It was just like name, 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 mm-hmm. moving on, like without a lot of explanation for what was happening. Like he he was covering a lot, a lot of material in a very short little snippet. So I don't feel like. No, I mean, it. it I think it is a book that makes you want to go in and look up more. As yeah. a, like there were things that I started looking up while mm-hmm. I was reading the book. And then there have been things in the other books I've been reading that um, has forced me to go look up. I was a history major in college, and at one point in my life when I was young and my brain didn't have as much clutter in it, um, (laughs) I had sort of an overarching historical timeline in my mind, and over the years it's just kind of faded away. And so um, it's made me kind of go back and... Well, and I pay attention to some of these things. I think it's interesting too. Like, um, I have a minor in history, so I took a lot of history classes as my elective classes, just because mm-hmm. I enjoy history. Um, so I, th- the things that you're taught about in history, mm-hmm. as opposed to the things that are also happening, you know, like the things that they choose to focus on in in teaching you history, are sometimes. No, it's not not the, um, not the more interesting things or like s- some of the things that seem important never get covered. I agree. Um, yeah, 
that's especially true if you grew up in the South. But well, anyway. Well, so to, um, <laughs> my, hu- my husband and I were having a discussion. This is just off topic, but it, well, not totally off topic. Um, he saw a meme and he was like, it, it really hammered home for me the idea of white privilege. Mm-hmm. It's like white privilege is when your history is taught as a required history and um, when other people's history is an elective. Yes. And um, I, I think that's a, a good point. <laughs> yes, it is a good point. It, um, yeah, I, I will say um, there's in the past few years, and Melissa and I have talked about this, and especially in our travels when we've been driving to different places around the South, and we always try to go to the museums in the area. Mm-hmm. And um, we went to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. And there was just a lot of that history that was it was going on during my lifetime or right before it. But it was never taught to me. No. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's um, part of being... Interested adult in the world is going out and searching out sort of the stories that are there that that we weren't given in our basic arc of history Mm -hmm. um, in school. Which is interesting too, because like even taking like AP history, which is Mm -hmm. supposed to be the more in depth and more kind of Uh, making connections, it's not just like remembering dates and Mm -hmm. you know it. The best classes I took were, when I was in college, they had a January term where you could either travel, which I could never afford to do because I was working and paying for my my own school, and um, or you could stay on campus and do an internship and then take these little January courses, which were totally immersive courses. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, they were like reading the annotated version of something. Mm-hmm. So one was on the Jazz Age, and we read, and we did the history, and the music, and the art, and everything of the time, and it gave you a much fuller sense of everything that was going on, yeah. but, but they were little snippets of you know history and art and literature that you got. So I'm really good on the Jazz Age, yeah, because sure. I did that one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, they didn't do a deep dive into Birmingham, and... Um, Mm-mm. Memphis and the troubles in the South and civil rights that that was not taught. Well, if if anyone has not been to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis and you find yourself in Memphis, a hundred percent go to this museum. It's probably one of the best museums I've ever been to. It's it, incredibly well done. It is incredibly well done. Um, we went from there. Um, <laughs> we we <were laughs> really hating ourselves to Graceland, and where, we um, we also really hated ourselves <laughs> when it was over. Um, Graceland was uh, so sad, just depressing on a whole different Dif- level. Yeah, <laughs> I yes, I I know that some people really love Graceland, but I saw it as very sad. I'm not sure if we hadn't read the book about Elvis's digestive system oh. <laughs> prior to seeing Graceland, I would have felt as bad about it as I did. But just knowing sort of his life and actually the kind of constant pain that he was in and mm-hmm. yes. Well, and I, the whole time I was there, the only thing I can think of is like, he would hate this. Yeah, he, Like he would hate the, the spectacle that his house had become. And like the fact that it looks like, like on the one side of the street, it's like Disney World. Like it's it, so weird. It's just a strange place. Well, and it also, by today's standards, is not super impressive. It's no, sort of it's a nineteen fifties, sixties house. Um, yeah, like you would find in the nicer neighborhoods of any southern town. Yeah. Um. So, but decorated in a. In a unique way. In a unique way, yes. In a unique way, yes. <laughs> Anyhow. Well, that was a big digression. We, from we went Regency from, from the Regency years to, to Graceland, but that's um, <laughs> History of the World by Jessica and Melissa. <laughs> oh, that was bad. But the Regency years was excellent, and we had a great discussion. Yeah. Um, and it does, if you are a fan of the literature of that time, it it does fill in a lot of the blanks. And we spent a fair amount of time talking about how Jane Austen didn't put a lot of these things in her in her work, but 
I think she would have expected her contemporary audience just to know them. So mm-hmm. um, there are probably a lot of jokes that if you don't know the history of the time, you're not getting. And a, a lot of the drama that you don't understand. Um, it Well, so it just put into better perspective a lot of the choices that her characters make. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it makes you think a little better of Fanny. Mm. A little better. smidge but um but i would recommend it for any fan of jane austen or any of the the literature of the time um it does give it does give context to things that um you wouldn't get otherwise if you're just reading the literature and it did make me very impressed with um the pemberley chronicles because in the pemberley chronicles which i think we've talked about before on this show Mm -hmm. um the author does pick up a lot of this history and put it into the books. And so um, if you want to do a deeper dive into Jane Austen characters, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you could read Jane Austen, The Regency Years, and then The Pemberley Chronicles, and you would have covered a great deal of space and it's time. It's true. And, yes. <laughs> you, would, you would have a, a good feeling for what was going on at the time. Yes. So... Tell us more about Ruth Ware. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, this is the last one that I got to this weekend, um, and it's called The Lying Game. And this one was a little bit different than the other two in that it wasn't a collection of people just put together in the middle of mm-hmm. nowhere and, and things happen. So this, um, I, I think her name is pronounced Isa. Mm-hmm. Um it, it has a it's, it has a way that it's pronounced in here, and I, I don't know if I'm right. But um, so she is sent to a boarding school, um, like a girls' boarding school, when um, she's in fifth form, and mm-hmm. I I don't know what that means in British schooling. And she she was a teenager, or mm-hmm. so she was probably close to graduation. Um, well, I, so. Anyway, so her mother has gotten sick and her dad is dealing with her mother being in the hospital and Mm -hmm. everything. So he sends both her and her brother off to these boarding schools. Um, So she's the new girl um, coming in late to to the game. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she's on the train going to school because her dad is not even able to take her to school. Like she has to just go Mm -hmm. herself. Um, And she meets... um, three other girls on their way to go to school as well. Um, And one of them is um, a new student uh, like she is in the same Mm -hmm. year as her, and they end up being roommates. Um, But they become, all four of them become very, very close friends. And they play this game called the lying game. And the lying game, um, they basically just lie all the time and they give each other points for, lies that they tell and so when they tell and there's rules to the lying game you can't lie to the other people in the game Mm -hmm. um and so they're only lying to like strangers and authority figures and um have somebody has i it must have been pitched to me this novel because this sounds very familiar yeah well, um, so, at one point or another, yeah. Well, so one of the girls, Kate, her father is the art teacher at the mm-hmm. school. And she boards at the school during the week and then goes home on the weekends. But, I mean, mm-hmm. like, their house is right there in town. And so the other three girls go to their house a lot and spend a lot of time there. Um, so the book picks up at the beginning... Um, Isa has just had a baby um, like six months ago mm-hmm. and she gets a text from Kate that says, I need you. And so she drops everything and goes to um, see her friend Kate. And it turns out that someone has found a bone from a body in the town in the marsh and that has created a problem oh my mm-hmm. mm. and she hasn't so she hasn't seen kate in 15 years i'm gonna have a very murdery weekend oh yeah weekend, it's gonna I be think. a very very murdery <laughs> very murdery weekend um yes well i'm looking forward to it i um 
Yeah. So this one and in this one, the narrator is not unreliable. I mm-hmm. don't think in any way she's unlikable in lots of ways, <laughs> um, but not unreliable. <laughs> Okay. All right. Yes. Um, um, So Melissa's warned me that I may not like many of the characters in these books, but the books are very good. Yeah. They're good in spite of the fact that you just don't like anyone in them. Um, So these are not people I'm going to want to hang out with. No. The Lion Game, um, if anybody's read The Secret History by Donna Tartt, it has has some flashes of The Secret History in it. Well, I always like flashes of The Secret History. Yes. That is one of my all-time favorite books. Uh Um, but I feel like we'll have to save that book for Kate when she comes on. Oh, yeah, that's, that's Caitlin. Caitlin's baby. Yeah, that is um, hers. <laughs> but I'll be curious to see what you think of these. I, I read them very quickly. Like They are, they are definitely page turners. You want, you want to, to know where it's going. Very good. Oh, God, those books are hard for me. <laughs> Don't read the end I first. I will not read the end first. <laughs> I will be good. I will be good and not read the end first. So, Melissa, <laughs> for something completely different again, yes, um, I have been reading the amazing Tristan Gooley's mm-hmm. newest book, The Secret World of Weather. <laughs> now, you all may know Mr. Gooley as the author of How to Read Water and How to Read Nature, mm-hmm. um, but this is a new one all about weather. And I don't know about the rest of you, but when the Weather Channel first came on the scenes... I was obsessed. As was my mom. And I swear to God, like, if I have to hear the ambient jazz background <laughs> music of the Weather Channel one more time. <laughs> I was a Weather Channel watcher and convert. And um, I still have two different weather apps on my phone. I did have three, but I deleted one of them because it seemed upset, um, obsessive and excessive. <laughs> both. Um, but this book is fascinating and i'm enjoying it and i'm um i'm dipping in and out of it but it is how to read signs in every cloud breeze hill street plant animal and dewdrop and it's more about so there's the overarching idea of weather that happens on our planet as the earth spins and the sun heats it up and then it cools down and radiates the heat radiation back out into space um this talks about, so he talks about that and, you know, what high pressure is, what low pressure is, wind, etc. But he also talks about the little microclimates that we, that exist on the ground where we live. So it's an interesting deep dive into how whether you can read the weather exactly where you are, that when they're making a forecast, they, they don't know if it's going to rain in your backyard necessarily. They know that in this general area, rain is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But what's going to happen in your particular very specific neighborhood is sort of a harder thing to suss out on a daily basis. So um, so there, there are just all kinds of fascinating tidbits in there about the weather that I didn't know, and I just love. I'm pretty sure when you're done with this, we're going to have to send it to Tanner. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Tanner would really like this. Um, little things like, so why is it cooler under a tree in the summertime? Yes, there's shade, but also the way the wind moves around the tree makes a subtle cooling process like tree air conditioning underneath the tree and then why would you sit the tree nature's air conditioner (laughs) yes and also where to sit like if it's a cold clear day out and you can feel the warmth of the sun on your face but if you're standing in the middle of the field it's cold but if you elevate up on a hill and the sun is hitting the right way under a tree you have a little micro pocket of warmth where you can be more comfortable if you're in an outdoor situation where it's cold and you can't move around a lot. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay, it's the super nerdy part of me, but I really, really (laughs) enjoy that. And I enjoyed his book, How to Read Water. Um, When I was a a younger girl, I did a fair amount of sailing and canoeing and um, so had spent time learning how to navigate through the rapids in a river and Mm -hmm. the different signs Um, that you can see in the water so you know where to go with your boat so you don't hit the rocks Um, and with sailing how the wind is moving towards you and and how it works on the on the lake and on the ocean Mm -hmm. so 
So for all of you out there <laughs> who are fans of our friend Tristan Gooley, who is oh so British and uses... It also is making me really work on my um, metric conversion <laughs> because he uses the metric system. He does not uh, bother with the ridiculousness of our American system at all in this oh, book. As well, he shouldn't. No, and um, he does use terms like Fortnite, and there are also all kinds of wonderful weather maps in there and drawings of how... Um, you are just nerding out so hard I right know, now. <laughs> I know, I just... I, it's sad because Melissa's over at the house, and I'm like, you know, when she leaves, I've got another two hours to read this book. Then <laughs> <laughs> mm. I can share all the weather tidbits I learned with Bill when he comes home. He'll be very excited. <laughs> He's so excited. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> He's He's gotten good at tuning me out over the years. So um, Bill is a man of infinite patience. <laughs> yes, indeed he is. <laughs> so, yes, um, The Secret World of Weather by Tristan Gooley. New York Times best-selling author mm -hmm. of The Lost Art of Reading Nature's Signs. Mm -hmm. This is your guy. Oh, and he, he also has led expeditions on five continents, climbed mountains in three, studied the methods of tribal peoples in some of the remotest regions on Earth. Mm. And he lives in the UK. Yeah, he's a man of many talents. He is indeed. <laughs> I mean, he's probably not a keen fermenter. Uh, you know what? You say that. He probably is. He probably <laughs> is. He probably is. Well, on that note, I think that is probably all we have for I you this week. I think that's all we have for you. I have one other book, but I think I'm going to hold it for the next time so I can reread it and figure out how to talk about and it. figure out how to talk about it it's it so i will mention it quickly it's cats of the louvre or louvre however you want to go with that um by tayo masamoto and it is sort of a graphic novel but manga or manga however we want to say that it's a beautiful book i was drawn to it because of the art and the story is interesting and fascinating um but i read through it very quickly and i need to go back and discover the subtleties of it and learn some of the grammar of talking about graphic novels and manga um a little better so i can fully explain it to you <laughs> well um so uh I'm sure that next time I'll have more Ruth Ware books to talk about because <laughs> there's three more. Um, but, um, yeah, so we will be back in a couple of weeks. And, and who knows what I'll have read other than Ruth Ware. Uh, yeah. Oh, and the sun also rises. That uh, looms large out there. It's true. Yes. Hemingway. Well, and I'm also doing a movable feast with another book group, so I'm deep diving into Hemingway in the next couple of days as well. Mm -hmm. The weather and Hemingway. A woman of varied and varied tastes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, have a wonderful couple of weeks, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Be well. Read the books. Lots of them. Bye. Bye.